Chronicles part two, so we get the rest of the chapter, because we never got to the whole chapter before. So let's read through it, and then um, we'll highlight some things in here. So let's go uh, verse 13. So, So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on, right, so we talked about all last week, so he was born blind, and we just talked about it for a couple of minutes, he's born blind, and uh, his disciples asked, they said, hey, as they're walking by, not really a real sensitive thing to do, but as they're walking by, hey, who sinned? Was it, you know, this guy in the womb? Did he sin in the womb? Because he wasn't even born yet. So did he sin while he's in the womb, or did his parents sin? Because obviously some type of sin must have made this happen to this guy. And Jesus like, verse 3, you know, no, that's, that's not even how it went. Actually, he didn't sin, his parents didn't sin. Um, and so that's why we see in verse 3, it says, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. That's the only reason why God had allowed that thing to happen. So God's work could be displayed in his life. And then after that, um, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud, puts it on his eyes, and then tells him to go and go wash. It's just a bizarre, kind of strange thing to do. Um, out of all the ways to heal, that's a weird one, that's to spit in somebody's face. So, then from there, um, the guy comes back, everybody's like, wait, weren't you the man that used to be there, and begging, and blind, and he's like, yeah, I'm the guy, and they're like, who did it? He's like, I think the guy named Jesus, and where is he? I don't know. And so now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, find out about it, and so they want to investigate this and check it out. Um, So let's see. And Father, we just pray that you would open up our eyes and ears this morning, Lord, to your word, Father, and that you help us to be on guard, Lord, against routine and ritual, Lord, and religion. Because religion can blind us, Father, can blind us from you. Um, it's kind of a crazy thing how that could happen. But it can, and, and we're going to see it unfold in the story, Father. So I pray, God, that you'd help us to become aware, and we're being so religious that we forget you. So, God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Because that's what they're suffering with, so religious that they missed what was happening right in front of them. That's scary stuff. So it says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So that was like the determining factor. So he definitely can't be from God, he didn't keep the Sabbath. So but others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. So the man replied, he's a prophet. And so the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So like his word wasn't good enough, now they're getting the parents. Is this your son, they said? Is this the one who, who you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? So they go get mom and dad, and wasn't he blind? How can he see now? So they say, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. 
Now his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. In other words, that was like, now you better tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. That's what that's AKA for. They said, we know this man is a sinner, so they can't get past like the barriers that we know, we know, we know. And, and we know based on how we are interpreting the scriptures, how we're interpreting what God has said, so we know. And I guess that's cool, unless the interpretation is a little off. So we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. So he just gets right to it. I I don't even know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. It's a good testimony. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? You know, probably just like, and I don't even think he was trying to jab him. You know, he was probably just so excited. His life just got rocked, like in a way it never has and probably never will again. And he's just, I, yeah, it's a sin that I, I don't even know. All I know is I was blind my entire life. I could never see. He healed me. I can see now. And I've told you this before. You guys are, seem very interested. Would you like to know him? You know? So I don't even think he's trying to take a jab. I think he's really just that ecstatic about what happened. So then verse 28 says, Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. So you can see right away where they draw a line at Moses, and they draw a line with Jesus, and they don't see how they come together. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at your birth. How dare you lecture us and then throw him out. So Jesus heard that they threw him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. So he had no idea, you know, who even did this. You know, somebody did. And as far as he was concerned, it was a prophet. So he's just like, this is the guy? I, I didn't know. And now he's talking with Jesus face to face. Who did it? So verse 37, Jesus said, You have now seen him. He really has seen him now, right? You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Done deal. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and that those who see will become blind. And then there were some Pharisees there who were with him. They heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And Jesus keeps going in chapter 10. I tell you the truth, right? There's kind of a whole dialogue that happens, which we'll get into more um, last week, uh, next week. So pretty interesting. So like chapter 9 is divided up into like two parts, really. Verses 1 through 12 is like 
um, the response that Jesus had with this blind man. And then what we just read, 13 through 41, is like the reaction. You know, the reaction from everybody else, including the man, his parents, um, other Pharisees, um, even Jesus himself as he interacts with him. So it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, made me think of a bunch of things this week. Um, one of them was when uh, I was coaching basketball. And can you guess what the biggest enemy of a successful and multiple successful practices in basketball, or really any sporting event for that matter is? The biggest enemy, like the, the biggest barrier obstacle to kind of get past to have like good practices because the idea is you, have, you practice well, you're going to play well as a team. So if you're practicing well, you're going to play well, you're going to perform well. It'll help put everybody on the same page. They'll understand who has to be where, where they have to be, and will be more of a cohesive unit. So practice time is super valuable. And so one of the biggest barriers um, to practice times was routine. Routine is like, it, it wasn't anything, it wasn't even... Um, really, you know, lack of attendance or, because um, most of the guys, you know, would show up. They were pretty good about that. Um, it wasn't uh, what they really dealt with through the day. For the most part, didn't really interfere with their practices. Um, sometimes it would be like their studies and homework and keeping up with that and balancing their schedule. But when we actually get to it and try to refine who we were as a team, what got in the way was routine. That's what got in the way. What got in the way was just going through the motions. So what we would do is we'd come in the gym, we'd do a couple of laps, you know, around the gym. And uh, from there, uh, then we'd get into stretching, and then we'd get in from there, we'd run through a couple of drills, then we have a couple more drills, and then we start getting into, like, what's specific for that day. And so the first week, everybody is, like, you know, new basketball shoes, you know, shorts, everybody's, like, clean and, like, yes, coach, you know, what are we doing? And, like, you know, first thing we're doing is we're going around the gym, you know, lap, it laps. And I'm telling them, listen, this is our opportunity right now to pay attention to detail. So for 15, 16, 17-year-old males, that's not, like, a very easy thing to do is attention to detail. Females, a lot of times, are better with it. So attention to detail. So as we're even doing the laps, just stay on the edges. Don't cut the corners. You know, let's just do that. We'll stay paced. No, no big gaps and have the captains kind of lead the way, and they go. So then they come in, you know, and they're all, you know, great looking, great form. They're all sticking together. There's no gaps, and they come around. And then, you know, once they get done with that, and it's usually, like, you know, close to a mile when we're done with that. Um, and then they get a quick water break, and then we come back, and then we get in some different drills. And so they got to divide them into lines. So we get them in their lines. We get the balls. We're like, listen, here's the goal. So in this particular drill, we're trying to get however many baskets in a certain amount of time, and here's what each person has to do. And so everybody's, like, looking, you know, paying attention, ready, break, break, you know, divide up into lines, and here we go. Now we're rocking through, too. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, you know, while they're going, you know, it's creating the culture and the environment of this is a team, we're cheering each other on, and, like, we're going for it. CrossFit is kind of known for that now, actually. Like, when people are working out, people are, like, yelling and cheering for each other. It's not a typical, like, Normal gym, everybody's like, hmm, how many plates is that? You know, kind of judging, that kind of thing. Um, but so that, those dynamics are in practices early on. But then like a month, uh, a few weeks later, all of a sudden they start straggling in, 
pants are like falling down. They have like one sock on, you know, a different one over here. And they're like, oh, coach, we have to do laps again, you know, and then they're doing it, and it's like really slow. And then you got the kid way far back there, and they're like, yep. And then they like cut all the corners around the gym. And then after that, they get in the lines, and they're like, who's got the balls, you know, and they're like, you had the balls, I had the balls, the freshmen had the balls, you know, so it's like, so you know, this whole thing, and then stretch time isn't serious anymore, really trying to stretch, you know, to prevent injury and all that, it's just one, two, three, <laughs> there's just nothing going on. It's just, it has become complete routine and ritual, like once the honeymoon of the experience of being on the team and being involved in it has kind of worn off, it's like, yeah, we kind of know the drill, so now we'll just skate through it. The mindset of we are preparing ourselves for a game environment, a game atmosphere has been lost somewhere along the way. And it's just become tunnel vision on what's happening right now in practice. So as a coach, you're constantly trying to reinforce, hey, listen, game time speed, game time speed. So, like, there's no way you can get away with just one of these little passes going on over here. And there's no way it's a fast break, and you're like this. <laughs> That's not game. It's game time. Like, we're trying to prepare now so we're ready for the game later. Um, and so, as a coach, you're constantly trying to instill that and create that culture and environment. And the most successful coaches, they're able to do that really well. So, when you go to, like, a high-ranking Division One practice is like, holy cow, these guys are serious. There is no games, no nonsense. You'll see smiles because they're having fun, but they understand how to have fun, but yet compete hard. All that to say, that very much carries into the spiritual realm as well. There can easily become this honeymoon of, I've met Jesus as my Savior. I've given my life over to him. I've put my hope in him. I know that I, I know this little bit, and I know it's right for me, and I'm excited about this new life and what he has off for me. So there's like this excitement. There's this honeymoon stage when we first commit our lives. And then um, maybe um, somebody has been in it maybe for a little while, and maybe they've kind of been playing around for a little bit, but then they have a moment, a moment where it's just true surrender. I'm tired of kind of being half and half out and sort of being around it. I am in. I am all in. Point of no return. All the chips are in. So when somebody comes to a point of surrender like that, there's a honeymoon period after that, and it's like, man, I can't wait to experience life where I'm no longer interested in compromise. I'm just interested in going after it. And so then there's like this honeymoon phase of like, whew, it's awesome. And then there comes this time where it's like, the reality starts to hit in, and this, this thing is a grind. Where it's not just that we struggle with flesh and blood, but we do struggle with powers and principalities beyond our control. And it's tough stuff. This is not easy. And what can happen, it can happen to the Pharisees, it can happen to me, it can happen to you, it has happened to me, maybe it has happened to you to some degree, shape, or form, where Christianity and church it just becomes routine and ritual. Once you figure out the stuff you got to do, it's really easy to just do the stuff. Really easy. So that has happened with these guys here, the religious authorities. They knew God. They knew the Old Testament. They knew how it was written, who wrote it. 
and they knew all of the different commentaries of different rabbis that gave instructions on how to carry out the law that God had given. They knew all of it. They knew everything. But the problem was is that they really became, they got really good at those routines and the ritual and going through it that they kind of missed the entire point of it. And so this passage is really good and helpful for us because it can hopefully help put us on guard for ourselves and then also help make us aware of, for the most part, we live in a world where the way they engage with God is a very religious way. Where it's just you check off boxes and you do the particular things that somebody told you to do and then that's interpreted as I now know him, have a relationship with him and worship him. So it's like we have to be on guard about it, but we should also, I think, be equipped on how to interact and deal with the world around us as far as what does a real relationship really look like. Because these guys, Jesus made it so clear that he healed this blind man, healed him, completely restored it, and at the same time, completely unveiled how blind they were. Jesus was literally right in front of them, doing it, doing the stuff. And because it didn't fit into their box, it wanted nothing to do with it. So we're going to kind of highlight some of that stuff. So let's take a look. I got three thoughts, three thoughts. And these thoughts centered around, they center around um, trying to avoid the distortion and attack that the enemy would like to take towards those of us who want to engage with God and commune with him. There's an attack that he has on that, that he tries to distort that. And if he can somehow remove our hearts and our minds from it and just get our physical bodies to go through the motion, that's really a win for him. Because he could successfully get us to sort of go through the motions, but yet have our hearts and our minds completely detached. And we are totally able to do that. Some of us able to do it really well. So we just start showing up in baggy shorts and not doing anything. And, but it looks kind of good, you know, on the outside, maybe to everybody else. So we're, three thoughts about that. So here's one thought. One thought is you are able to tell if you're headed down this path of we're going to call a really religious spirit that's focused, heavy focused on rules and regulation and not following through um, in a real way. One sign of it is this talk versus touch mentality. Talk versus touch. Here's what I mean. So the religious leaders were really good at talking, theorizing, um, very educated, there was a lot of things being said. Jesus also had that knowledge, but at the same time, he was also the one wanting and going after getting in the trenches with people, touching them and getting dirty. So he creates some mud and puts it on this guy's face. He will touch a leper. He will show up in a sinner's home. It doesn't matter what it is. There is not a white glove mentality. So we can kind of tell and learn a little bit about ourselves and a little bit about our church. And we can have an understanding where, you know, wow, how often 
do I, does, do I maybe say a lot? Am I also guilty of, man, getting in there and doing a lot for people as well? Like doing a lot, getting involved, being invested into somebody's life and really knowing what's going on with them, why they do what they do, why they're saying what they're saying. Because it's really easy to sit back, and this is why social media is like really annoying a lot of times, um, is that it just becomes a platform to just blast all this talking, and it's just, and for the most part, I don't know how much good that it does. And chances are, if you're blasting it on social media, it's probably your friends and those that are close around you, so... They probably have similar mindsets, and so you're kind of just preaching to the choir anyways. So it's like, I don't you know, I guess there's some amount of boldness to be able to publicly say what's going on, um, but I don't know. The ranting thing on social media, like, is just so not helpful. But the difference between talking and touching, Jesus embraced and was willing to get dirty. And, and I hope that resembles us as well. I hope, and, and it's my prayer at our church, man. We're a church that's willing to get dirty. Hoping that we're just a bunch of pigs in our own messes all the time. Like, we're also able to clean up and know how to do that. But there is certainly an element of a church being a hospital, and I hope that we're just not white glove, and, you know, there's just a perception of, I can only show up to church when I'm really doing well and feeling well, and I know and I'm able to smile. I hope that doesn't happen. No, but there's, there's a thought there where we think that, and it's like, oh, God, I can't go in there today and put that face on today. And the response is to that, good, then don't do it. Imagine that. Just show up and be who you are. That's what we're called to do. And then hopefully, if maybe that's not our situation, you know, it could be where we could flat out see that some people are struggling or having difficulty with whatever areas I hope that because we're sitting there thinking, well, I've never been to um, such and such college, I don't have such and such education, and I don't really know much about it, I hope that doesn't prevent us from then getting in there and trying to come alongside and help. Because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. And we definitely have something to offer. And maybe He'll only use us for a short period of time, and then He'll bring in something that will fit better through somebody else. But nonetheless... Uh, our degree of knowledge does not then qualify us for getting dirty. So hopefully we are. We're really not headed towards a, a, a really religious spirit if we're willing to just embrace and just get in the trenches with those around us. We're doing good if that is the case. If it's not the case, well then, you know, it's something we've got to be really careful of because Jesus was known for that, getting dirty and just being around people. Sin is messy stuff, and it will affect us as well. So that was one thought I had. If that talk versus touch mentality, because we're really caught, it's not talking versus touching, it's really talking and touching. Like you're supposed to be doing both at the same time. You're supposed to be talking, sharing about who he is, talking about the truth, but at the same time, being able to do whatever it takes to just be involved in people's lives. I mean, that's the radical part of a Christian's life, supposedly. The radical part of the Christian's life is not how well they sing on Sunday at church during the songs. People singing songs like never changed the world. It was when they left the building. What did they do when they're outside of that? 
I mean, do they really know their coworkers and who they are and who's in their family? Hopefully, like, we're guilty of that stuff, you know? How, what does their family think of them? How are the relationships inside the family? So that's one area of something for us to be on guard of. Talking versus touching. Jesus was able to get dirty with them. Um, another area that we should probably be on guard of and be made aware of is incorrect addition. Incorrect addition. So our first one is talk versus touch. Our second one is incorrect addition. So school just started up this week, so some math stuff might find its way in here. It won't be heavy duty, I promise. But here's what I mean by incorrect addition. Take a look at verse 16. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. This, this was their determining factor. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. This was a huge issue. If you just read through this passage really quickly, you probably, you could drop this issue pretty quick. But this was like, this was the marker stone. That th- so from their vantage point, it was like, okay, he's doing this stuff. We're trying like, to ignore it and not pay attention to it, but it's getting crazy. But at the same time, we do know that Moses said that there's the Sabbath. And he's going against what we have interpreted the Sabbath to mean. So they're stuck. They don't quite know how to handle that. Because they believe in Moses, and we read that before. They're with him all the way, but this new guy, I don't know. It's hard to deny what he's doing, but at the same time, if he really was from God, why would he be violating the Sabbath? Because God gave the Sabbath to Moses. So this was like a contentious issue. This was the rub. And it almost seems like Jesus kind of purposely pushed these buttons multiple times. Because it didn't just happen here. He actually did a lot of miracles um, on the Sabbath. So the question is, why? And let me read out real, real quick to you in, in Matthew 12. You could turn there if you want to. But I'll just read you the passage. It says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. So they were walking through some fields, and they were hungry. They began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. So they couldn't. On the Sabbath, like, walk through some fields and pick a head of grain, because that would be considered work, right? And, and I guess probably before I go further, you know, the Sabbath is, is no work. It's supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. It's a time of rest, because God rested from creating the world, and on the seventh day, he rested. So Sabbath is rest. And so the issue is, well, what can you do then? Because is waking up in the morning and getting dressed, is that considered work? Is brushing your teeth considered work? Um, Is making some meals considered work? So modern day um, Jews now, um, in a lot of households, uh, they can't turn on the lights. Um, They cannot get in their cars. Um, They cannot do laundry. Um, There's a whole list of a lot of different things. And what they do is they base the list on Exodus. You can read it later this week if you want. Um, Exodus 31, uh, 34, 35, 38 where they're constructing the tabernacle, 31, 34, 35, 38. They're constructing the tabernacle, and God told them things that they could do and could not do. And so they generate a list from the things they could not do, and they carry it into modern day. Um, So that doesn't leave you with much to do, really, on the Sabbath day. And uh, Jesus is saying, listen, you guys are, like, getting the wrong interpretation here. 
I understand what you're doing, but you're totally missing the point of why I put this in place. So take a look at this. This is another time, Matthew 12, I was reading before. He answered, haven't you read what David did, King David, because of course they believed in King David, they respected him. Haven't you read what King David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. He and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or, haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Say, Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of the Sabbath. So in Mark 2, he says the same thing. I am Lord of the Sabbath. And so he's saying, hey, listen, you guys are using this um, process to evaluate the Sabbath day. And number one, you guys break it yourself. Um, but number two, I created it. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. It's okay. It's all right. Um, but they couldn't see that. And honestly, based on Jesus' response, I think they didn't want to see that. That's like the big difference. They flat out didn't want to see it. So there's blindness where you just don't know and you're just kind of ignorant and just, ah, I don't know, you know, and you're growing up and your parents are saying things and people are telling you things and it's just like, you just don't see stuff. I don't see stuff. The value in discipline, um, you know, the value in paying attention, the value in investing into other people, um, not being addicted to entertainment, you know, all these things. They always tell you all this stuff growing up, but it's just like, I don't see it. But they're choosing not to see. It's happening right before their eyes. They're choosing purposely not to pay attention to it and find reasons to disregard it. And that's why Jesus is pretty harsh with them. Because for the most part, he's really pretty gentle. So, incorrect addition. What do I mean by that? The Sabbath day was, yes, a day intended for rest. But it was not at the cost of devaluing human life. Like, they added that part to it. Because even Jesus asked them in another place, he said, hey, listen, if somebody's ox falls into a hole on the Sabbath, you're not going to help them take it out? And it says that they didn't have an answer. Well, yeah, you can do good works on the Sabbath. So that's where they were incorrectly adding to what God has said. And so we can tell within ourselves... We're headed down a track of a religious mindset and religious spirit if we start saying, hey, we can't do this, and then it's a really difficult time to find where God supports that. That's incorrect addition. Incorrect addition. You know, so if we were to put a poster, you know, on, or something as we came in the church, and listen, anytime you come to church, you've got to come in your suit, and all the girls got to be in dresses. That's a nice thing, you know. But you'd be hard-pressed to find that biblically. I mean, you can't do it. You can't add to that. That's like incorrect addition. You can't add that stuff there. And there's all kinds of other teachings within there. But to incorrectly add. But that kind of assumes that you know a little bit of something. And that you're studying and kind of understand God a little bit before you're adding to it. So they were guilty of incorrect addition. The talk versus touch issue. They're also guilty of a culture, I call it the triple R's. 
So you got talk versus touch, incorrect addition, then we got the triple R. They had a culture of robotic, rehearsed routines. A culture of robotic, rehearsed routines. So robotic, rehearsed routines. So everything was always written out. They knew exactly when they had to stand, when they had to read, when they had to sit down. And um, it was all just very, they ended up getting how to do it. They were experts at going through the motions and making it look fantastic. They were really good at it. Um, and they liked when people saw it. That's why, like when we first planted the church, our slogan was church without religion. We gave out like these little cards, and it said church without religion, and it said 10, 10, 10. You know, that's when we were having our first service. Um, and church without religion, you know, what are we even saying? What does that even mean? Um, the, the idea was to get people to be like, oh, that's interesting, you know, maybe I'll go see what that's about. Um, not meaning that it's church without God, um, but it's church without religion in the mindset that we are not trying to advocate and be huge proponents of a robotic, rehearsed, routine life. That's not what God asked for us. Jesus says multiple times, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That sounds very far from robotic and routine. Very, very far. And so one of the pillars that I hope that God continues to build in our church is an atmosphere of authenticity that's open before him. So you can really see the relationship. Because the relationship hopefully should not be found in following rules. That's not a real relationship. Like, can you imagine if I had, um, you know, in our home or you had in your home, somebody I had to go through first, you know, to be able to talk with Julie. And, you know, somebody was like, okay, I'm going to write down this script for you today. And you do everything on that script and to communicate with her. Like, you know, writes down, okay, you need to wake up right now and then say da da da. And so I see her, I wake up and then I say da da da. And then he says, okay, after that, then you need to go downstairs and get da 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 and do da da da. So I get up, I go downstairs, I do da 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 da. And then at lunchtime, you need to do da da da. And so I go through and I do all this list. You continue to do that, that's not you anymore. You're not attached to it. It just relied on some other source feeding some kind of routine and ritual that you got to do. And that mindset of approaching God in that way is prevalent all around us. It's completely radical to just set something down, put something aside, shut everything off, have it be total silence in an area or an environment, and say, God, this is your time right now. I only want to hear from you. I don't even want anything with you. I, I just want to be in relationship with you and know who you are. That is ridiculous. Like, that is so beyond the norm. It's crazy. It's insane. And that's like, called, God has called us to be in regular relationship with him like that on a regular basis, but that's not foreign. It would actually be weird if we weren't doing it. So, Robotic, rehearsed routines. That's why in your bulletin, it says on the front there. So I talked about Church Without Religion when we first started. But look on the front. Isaiah 29, 13. 
The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's talking about the same Jewish people. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So yeah, they came near to him. They would come into church or the tabernacle and sanctuary. They would honor God with prayers and things being said. But their hearts were very far from that. But they were able to go through the motions really well. The huge danger in that, though, is you keep it up long enough, it creates you blind to when God is actually doing something. So when Jesus was in their midst and healing the guy on the Sabbath, they can't even see anything else other than, oh my gosh, this Sabbath, this is what we said, he's doing the wrong thing, can't be from God. It's craziness. It's craziness. And I think it's also crazy for us to think, oh, that could never happen to me. Oh, heck yeah, it can. It's really easy. Really easy. So it's something we got to be on guard against. So I wrote down a couple of things. Hopefully that could help. Some good practical things. Things that help guard against just honoring him with our lips and having our hearts detached. So we can guard ourselves against falling into this talking versus touching issue, not getting in the trenches, incorrectly adding to what God has said, and just being focused on robotic and routine. And I take these, these are not shots at anybody, I just took these as like from my personal life, and I just noticed that um, God was just bringing changes about. And I, and I remember being places and at churches and at conferences and different things, and I'm like, yeah, this has got to be different. So here's one thing that God changed for me. It was just sitting in the front of stuff. Sitting in the front. That was like a big thing for me, sitting in the front. Um, I, I am, by nature, uh, an introvert, and I like to kind of just, just kind of observe and just look and kind of be removed. It's just that it just feels natural to me. It feels easy. I like it. Um, probably because there's a good amount of fear mixed in with that too. Um, but you try and justify that with that's not my personality. So, but if I'm honest about it, there's a good amount of fear in there for a lot of different things, which is silly. Um, so the Lord's continuing to work that out. But, so I just sit in the back. And I just found that for whatever reason, in my case, um, to move and then come sit up front was like a big deal. And I, I couldn't really run away. You're pretty much locked in around whatever's going on. And there you are, front and center. So that was like, a, that's small, but it was a significant thing that I remember the Lord speaking that to my heart. Um, being at a church service one time, he's like, man, get your butt up there towards the front. Stop being afraid of that. What, what is the issue? I'm like, I don't know. I just like to sit in my area all the time. <laughs> it's silly. You know, but... That will help me to guard against a robotic routine showing up and just doing it. If I'm constantly in a different place, sitting there, different people, it's like, oh, I, I, I don't know. I, like, that's, I don't know. Who's going to say something? Like, whose kid's going to spit on me? Like, I don't, I don't know. This is different now. So that's a small thing that I could do and that, you know, I currently now do. I just like to just take up seats everywhere now because I'm free of it now. I don't even care. I'll sit, you know, wherever. They're all great seats. I don't even care anymore. So that was a small one. Um, volunteering. So I remember that was a big one, and the Lord spoke down to my heart, and 
Uh, I remember Sunday school uh, uh, teaching was opening up, and I was like early 20s. And at that point, I was like, Lord, I'm all in with whatever you say. You know, I'm following. I'm tired of messing around. So the church was expressing how they had a need for Sunday school teachers. And I was like, oh, come on. Something else you got to do. You got to go build something. Like, is there sports ministry here? We can start one. You know, what do we have to? So, and none of those things, you know. But, and I felt like the Lord said to my heart, said, hey, listen. If you're submitted to this church, and that was an important thing. If you're submitted to the authority of that church in your life, this is what they need. Step up, and I will provide what you need in that place. I, I know that was clear as day, without a doubt. So, <laughs> that's what I did. And then I stayed Sunday school there for, I don't know, like four years or something like that. And it wasn't really my most favorite thing, to be honest with you. But we did have some fun, but I knew... That that was just something God, you know, was calling me to do. And it was another opportunity for me to guard against a robotic routine of showing up and just doing my thing. Um, I remember that I used, because I was an introvert and I would wait, you know, kind of watch from afar. um, I'd wait for people to sort of like personally invite and personally ask me to do something. Um, because my justification would be like, I don't want to force the issue onto somebody else. But that was just a lame BS excuse. I know that it was. Sometimes that's a legitimate excuse. Like sometimes people are just like abrasive in your face and they're trying to do everything. And it's like, dude, calm down. Relax a little bit. And and maybe in that case, yes, wait for somebody to approach you and then ask. Um, But, you know, in my case, there, there wasn't. I was hiding behind that. So, got to do work in me there and be like, hey, when something comes up, man, just involve yourself in it. If you feel it's just a stirring, as small as it may be, involve yourself. Just go in. That helps to guard against this robotic routine thing where you're just afraid of stuff. Another big one. Remember being in church? And um, God, God had been working on my heart for a while. And uh, one of the issues was uh, raising my hands up in church during worship time. It was a big one. He's been working on, he was working on my heart for a while, and I was having conversations with people. And um, there was just a season where I just noticed it a lot more, and I'm like, ah, I don't know, like, what is, whatever. I'm still singing. Like, what do you need the hands up for? Just do the singing. Like, half the people aren't even singing, so I'm better than that. Like, <laughs> that's, but that's the mindset. Like, that's, that's, that's how it goes. At least for me. So, but then I started reading, like in Psalms, there was at least three different places they're talking about, and, and one of them in particular says, men, enter the sanctuary with arms of praise held high. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, singling out guys. And it says, raise your hands. And, then, and it was all during this season where I was just thinking and praying through it. Um, and so then I remember uh, the church service and where I was at, and I think I remember doing it at like a church I'd never been to before, so nobody would know anyways. Uh, it was some church like outside of Boston, this little church, and they were rocking actually. And so, and so I was there, and boom went up, and I was like, it just so that first arm raising experience was just uh, it was a good freedom, like it was like a release. It's like ah, like it was just I don't know, it's hard to describe, but it was just a good release. It felt right, and it was the right thing to do. And then I remember on the car ride home, you know, thinking about it, and just being like the heck was I doing all those other worship services? Like, I don't even, what was I doing? 
Like, there was a choice, like we talked about earlier in worship time, there's a choice to enter in during a praise time and worship. There's a choice. I can involve my physical faculties in this thing and go for it, or I can kind of hang back and sort of meander around it. There's a choice there. It's an intentional choice. And I'm like, man, I always make the choice to click on March Madness. I make the choice to watch the Cowboys and whoever. I make the choice to, like, jump out, you know, and, like, go, and go crazy over whatever plays that are made. I'm not intentionally making the choice to contribute to his people and praise his name. What is the deal? It's a disconnect. So for me, I found that to prevent and guard against a robotic, routine mindset that's just sort of comfortable. God was calling me to raise my hands like that and enter in in a powerful way. And then one last one. Um, singing. Just singing. Just like out loud singing. This has been like a recent one in the past few years. It's just, uh, I don't know where it comes from, but to help guard against a robotic, rehearsed, routine mindset if you just pop out some songs that just come out of nowhere, and you're like, and then the words are just coming really from the spirit as it's come as it's happening. That there's nothing like less robotic about it. Completely organic. It's powerful stuff. And the Lord does put a song of joy in people's hearts when He's with them. He just puts a song there. Or sometimes it's a song of sorrow. Whatever it is, but He tends. To put some music in there in some way, shape, or form. Just what he does. So those are just some personal ways that just help that the Lord has ministered, you know, in my life to help guard against this stuff because I know I could easily fall into the same category as them. Very easy. I could just get used to going through the motions and just, it's too easy. It's too easy to do. It comes too natural. So for us, when we engage in a world with, really, that's just a lot, especially in this area um, of the U.S., it's just a predominant way to approach God in routine, ritual, very liturgical type settings. It's just, it's just very normal around here. And so, not to say that somebody cannot worship God in those settings, it does make it difficult, though. It does make it difficult. Um, so what we can do, hopefully we are guilty of getting dirty. That'll help show them, like, wow, they actually, they don't just say this stuff on a Sunday. That's just really who they are. They just don't act it on a Sunday. They actually are that on Wednesday afternoon. Um, so getting dirty, investing into people's lives. And another one that I put was praying in public. That'll help to engage those around us too. Just getting used to praying in public, praying for people, praying with people. Sometimes you just walk through people and you can just tell, man, they're having a rough day and things are difficult. Like you could just see a stressed out mom in Walmart and her kids are flying off the handle. And, you know, the temptation would be like, man, she needs to get a grab, a hold on them kids. Like they are out of control. Um, you know, or you can be like, man, you are so stressed out. I can see it. I'm just going to pray for you real quick. Is that okay? She'd be like, okay, you know, whatever, just do anything. Help shut them up for a minute. Um, but these are ways to help show that we can engage 
our God, and he's expecting us to engage and just be with him on a normal basis, not just through this kind of robotic, just heavy doctrine, a lot of talking type of theology. So I pray that we would continue to be a people, that I would continue to be a person that just gets in the trenches, and that our church does as well. Because that's where the testimonies at last really happen. That's where the testimonies really happen. That's where the power takes place. Does it make sense? It's a scary thing that these guys are as blind as they were. It's really scary. And it's even more scary that we can get to a place where we purposely choose not to see what's happening right before us. God, I see what you're doing right here, but I don't want to see it. I'm not going to pay attention to it. Great for them, but it's not for me. So he's choosing to do stuff around us. I hope we're choosing to listen and not be blinded by it. So let's stand and we'll close in prayer. It's pretty interesting in chapter 10, Jesus will then expand on like their approach and their response and how they handled it. So we'll be talking about that stuff next week. Um, And it's good stuff, what Jesus has to say. It always is, you know, but. Sure. And I thank you for sharing that. Um, Because it's true. I think sometimes even like we're waiting for an opportunity like to pick our spots. And um, there's tremendous value in just, oh, how's your day going? Just so many conversations at work all the time. You just pass by, oh, what's going on? Eh, same old, same old. You know? Like, we have to get into a huge, heavy thing right there. It's like, man, I had a phenomenal church service like on Sunday. It's the best Monday ever. <laughs> you know, like, like why I don't, we don't have to fall into the norm. Like, if he's really rocking us during the week, it, we could wear it on our face and share it. You know, that's, it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's, like, those are the parts that they can see. Wow, this something going on here. I'm unfamiliar with this. So, Father, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see more clearly. Um, these religious leaders, they, these different people, Lord, they were leaders that knew your word better than anybody, and they were as blind, worse than anybody. So, Father, we, we pray, Lord, that you help us to be able to see, Lord, where our blind spots are. We all have them. And I pray, Father, that we would be humble enough to let you speak it to our hearts, Lord, directly. We also pray that we would be humble enough to let others speak it into our lives as well. 
Because we got blind spots, Lord. We can't see everything, Father. We don't know everything. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes, Lord, to help us to see who you are and what you're doing. At the same time, I pray that you increase our faith so we can live a life of faith that is not totally focused on the world that's seen. Because your word does say, Lord, we live by faith and not by sight, Lord. Show us what that balance looks like, Father. I pray, God, that you just create in each of our hearts a hunger for your voice that wants to just be in relationship with you. And I pray that each time we gather and worship here together or in our homes, Lord, each time, Lord, we go to worship you, Lord, that our hearts are attached to it, that our minds are attached to it, Father, and we just give you the best that we have. I pray, Father, that you just choose to give you the best that we have. And I thank you, Lord, that you're pleased with it, Father. And you can do more than we can ask, think, or imagine with it, Lord. So help us to see the opportunities where we can shine brightly for you, Lord. And may we be a people that knows what it means to walk with you and know your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.